everybody who has come for this 5 p.m. service and those who are watching, we have not uh, done the 5 p.m. service for a long time. So you are this pioneering group. You want to give yourself a big hand of encouragement? Yeah. For all those who didn't come, just feel bad. I mean, feel guilt. I mean, feel, uh, come back and join us. We have five senses. Five senses. God-given. Which of these senses are you most willing to lose? If you had the choice as you age, or you have an illness, or you have an accident. I think in all reality, we would say, I pray and hope not to lose any of my senses. But if we were to flip that around and ask, which of these senses are perhaps the most important? And so, if you read the news, Rayan, five years old in Morocco, fell into a well. Maybe, yeah, fell into a well and is a hundred feet deep. A hundred feet, that's 30 meters. You know how deep that is? That's about this. A hundred feet, maybe higher than this hole. And you think about it, this young boy has fallen into a well. Why don't somebody just go down and rescue him? Because the width of the well is 1.5 feet. You know how wide 1.5 feet is? I just brought the ruler up just in case. Right? This is one foot. 1.5. That's why no one can go down to rescue him. And so they're having to dig. And so they've been trying to reach this five-year-old boy over the last three, four days, and they've dug up to 90 feet vertically. As they dig 90 feet vertically, they then have to dig horizontally to get to where he is. And they have to do this praying and hoping that it doesn't collapse. So it's not so simple. I don't know how it's ended. Maybe it's ended already. He went missing because he was playing in the neighborhood. But nobody noticed that he was missing. I want you to guess who was the first person to notice that he was missing. And how did this person notice that he was missing? Your guess is right, lah. His mother. All mothers. Tributes to you. <laughs> And what was it? She heard the sound of a child a hundred feet down. And what's the lesson for us? It's the mother's loving hearing. It's the mother's caring hearing. It's the mother's careful hearing that saved Ryan from death. Because every ounce of effort, every sinew in her as a parent was geared towards hearing to find her son. And now in finding him to save her son from a life-threatening danger, from a life-threatening risk, from a life-threatening disaster. When we arrive at Mark chapter 4, the most important sense is hearing. Because the most repeated phrase from Jesus our Lord and Saviour is, he who has a ear, let him hear. I mean, it sounds so obvious, right? Unless I have years, physical ears, I cannot hear. But he was speaking about spiritual hearing. And you ask, ears to hear what? Ears to listen to what Jesus was saying about himself and how he began this gospel. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus as king and the kingdom he has come to announce sent by God 
is what we must all call, not I call, ultimate reality. Ultimate reality. A few weeks ago, a service, I met one of our members who's going to study overseas, working overseas at the moment, one of the big cities of, of the world. And we just got to talking about different things, different challenges in the Christian lives. A bright young man, totally committed to Christ. And somehow we got to talking about metaverse and the change of name to meta and all that. And at the heart of that change with metaverse is augmented reality, AR. Know what he said that struck me? I'm praying and hoping that AR doesn't work. Already a whole generation is messed up with too much social media, too much virtual, virtual reality that's confused them with true reality. This is ultimate reality. Jesus coming as God's King to save you and me for an eternal existence with God called the Kingdom of God. Every other reality is fake and passing. When we arrive at AR, I do not know what kind of children we're going to produce who haven't even gotten around virtuality is real or reality. Talking to my father and mother is more real or talking to my friends in outer space and playing games with them in outer space and then putting money and losing money in those games. And so listen, the context to follow in Mark is this. If Mark chapters 1 and 2 is our first introduction to Jesus and introduces us to Jesus and as we have sung and prayed, to his unparalleled authority given by God. Authority called disciples. Authority to heal diseases. Authority to cast out demons. Authority to tell Satan and his cohorts, get lost. No more time for you to mess up with humanity. I have come to save all whom God has sent me to save. By Mark chapter 3, Jesus' undeniable authority is increasingly questioned challenge as he heals on the Sabbath. And finally, a turning point in the first part of the book, they plotted to kill him. He is not just opposed, he's not just rejected. There is now an assassination plot against Jesus. That's a turning point. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. And so to understand that last week, the crowds had an opinion, his family had an opinion, the religious leaders had an opinion. The crowd's opinion say, this man is out of this world. Everything he's doing is right. He's healing, he's exercising, he's healing, he's exercising. We love him. His popularity was based on what he could do for them. The family says he's out of his mind. The religious leader says he's out of line. He's a lawbreaker. He's actually in line with Satan. He's actually Beelzebub. And Jesus says to all those three human opinions, from the crowds, to the family, to the religious leaders, who is my family? Just because you are Israel, you are not my family. My family hears the word of God and does the will of God. With that backdrop, we can now understand more fully the parable of the souls. And with the parable of the souls, it's important to understand it in context. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. And a very large crowd gathered about him. In some, verse, in some commentators, it says this is perhaps the largest crowd that has turned out to follow Jesus. 
So that he got into a boat, remember in chapter 3, he kept telling his disciples as the crowd approached him, get the boat, get the boat. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. So a wonderful scene. Can you mentally picture it? The Lord is in a boat. The, the crowds are there. They're separated from him. He, he prevents himself from being crushed to death by them. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And we read that. Is this the parable of the sower or parable of the souls? In all likelihood, it's the parable of the four souls. But we need to ask a very important question. All things must be understood in context. A text out of context becomes a pretext for false teaching and bad living. And here in ARPC, we are not perfect, but we try to explain to you God's word, a text in its context will give us the true meaning for godly response in our lives. And so whenever we say to you, let's bring you back to the background of context, please don't doze off. Huh? Say to your neighbour, please don't doze off. The context is very important of how to listen to parables and what is it we cannot apply and what is it we can apply. We need to ask a very important question. What's the purpose of parables at this stage in Jesus' earthly life 2,000 years ago when he came? And here is Jesus' take on it. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The content of Jesus' preaching is always the kingdom of God. In short form for me, K-O-G. But for those outside, so they're the insiders. Who are the insiders? The insiders is the end of chapter 3, the new family he's called. And the new family of Israel he's called are those who would listen intently to Jesus' words. Because in listening to Jesus, they fulfill God's will. Outside are those who do not listen to Jesus and think they are God's people and carry on thinking they are God's people. But those outside, everything is spoken in parables. So they may indeed see but not perceive. May they, they may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they turn and be forgiven. One of the most difficult verses to understand because if we don't take it in context, you're going to read into the text. Here's a very important thing, right? As if you read the Bible, you firstly, by the grace of God, have to think Jewish before you think Christian. You have to read out of the Word of God. You don't read into the Word of God. Unless you read out of the Word of God, you will... <laughs> so is this about predestination? Is this about this? Is this about who is in and who is out? Hear this correctly. Jesus is increasingly opposed. He now speaks in parables. And the context of this, he quotes Isaiah 6 verse 9 to 10. But to really understand Isaiah 6 verse 9 to 10, which was just read to you, we need to understand it's Isaiah 5 to 6. Isaiah 5 to 6, you go back and read it. It gives a story that God is owner of a vineyard. His vineyard is Israel. His vineyard is unfruitful, is unfaithful, and hence unfruitful doesn't bear any fruit that points people to say, we Israel, we have the true and living God, we point you to God. So God will judge and punish Israel by sending Assyria to conquer them. But before he does that, he sends Isaiah as a prophet to warn them. And when God sends Isaiah, he sends Isaiah on a sure succeed mission. 
Because when God sends His prophet to His people, surely His people will listen. No. Here's the history of prophets and prophecy. When God sends His prophet to speak the word, to warn them to repent, that your life is nominal, that you're superficial with God, you go to the temple, but your lives are a million miles away from the temple. It's a sure failed mission. I will send you, Isaiah. You will go and speak to my people. They will totally reject you. And so how many of you join a company where the boss hiring you says, I'd like you to join this company, but I want to tell you that in two years' time, we're going to close up. Oh, I want to join. When you enter the kingdom of God, when you're part of the kingdom, from the world's perspective, you have joined a sure failed mission. They reject his message and then they are exiled. Israel's rejection of Isaiah does not derail God's plans. Israel's rejection of Isaiah and hence rejection of God actually fulfills and confirms God's plan. I think that's a possible valid interpretation of what Jesus is doing here with parables. So when Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 verse 9 to 10, a parables in its context, God now had sent his final prophet, Jesus, on a sure failed mission to Israel. They will be ever seeing the what. He's doing the healings, he's doing the exorcism, but never perceiving why. He's popular, not, he's popular because of the healings and the exorcism. He's not popular because he's ushering the kingdom of God. They are ever hearing the parables, but never understanding Jesus. And so they reject Jesus and the message. And Israel's rejection of the final prophet, Jesus, does not derail, but actually confirms and God fulfills God's plan. So if you understand that correctly, parables are not, are not, earthly illustrations of heavenly truths. They don't make the kingdom of God simple. The way Jesus spoke it in context was the parables are not to let the outsiders in. The parables are to keep the outsiders out. Up to this point, the religious leaders who had just called him the devil, Beelzebub, you, you can see the hand of God in working in me, but you insist on calling me the devil. To you, I speak the parables. You remain the outsiders. That's the context. It's very important for us to understand it. And so, why parables at this stage? Jesus faced increasing opposition to the point of assassination plot against him. It was to see through those who followed him superficially on the outside with the crowds, beneficial belief. He heals me, he solves my problem. Those who followed him truly to see and to separate beginning with the 12 disciples whom he called and now were listening to him intently and the new family written about in Mark chapter 3, the end of it. So the difference between superficial and true disciples is down to one sense, how they hear. I just want to roll that out for you at this moment. That continues to be true, though we cannot directly apply everything from the parables to us straight away. Whether you are fake or true disciples depends on your hearing. 
Depends on Clifford's hearing, Andrew's hearing, Chris's hearing, Reuben's hearing. How's your hearing of God's word? And with that background, you can understand this. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? When was the last time somebody said this to you? Uh, in class or at home? Do you not understand? It's a bit sad. <laughs> do you not understand? And he says this repeatedly to the disciples. How then will you understand all the parables? You know what he's saying about this parable? This is not the king of durians, but the king of parables. You understand this parable of the souls, all the other parables will be unlocked to you. The sower sows the word, and they are ones along the path, and these are along the path. When this word is sown and where they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The sower is Jesus. The word is the gospel word that he's preaching. The kingdom of God word he's preaching. And did you notice with Jesus, Satan is not an idea. Satan is not a concept. Satan is the fierce enemy of God and the fierce enemy of him. It began with this temptation in chapter 1. And here he is again as he speaks about what it means to be a disciple. The first type of soul, your hardened ground. Religious leaders, hardened ground, right? Immediately they hear. And so we have Satan the snatcher. You have the hardened ground, you have Satan the snatcher, and he dulls your hearing about Jesus and blurs your vision about what? I, I don't see anything about God in Jesus. I don't see anything about God in Jesus. I'm going to say that a few more times. Do you see anything of God in Jesus? For when you meet Jesus, you meet God. He's not simply a person you can dismiss. And now they were washing their hands. They plotted to kill him. They call him, they dare to call him Beelzebub. So Satan is mentioned first up in terms of the hardening of hearts. He's not mentioned in the other two souls that don't bear fruit, but that doesn't mean Satan is not at work in the rocky soul and the thorny soul. It's still Satan and still our hardened hearts at work. And so what does that mean for you and me? been saying this a lot, right? It's 2022. You taking any of this seriously, Jesus, our Lord saying to us, Jesus took Satan and spiritual warfare with Satan uh, seriously. Do you? How seriously do you take it? I do not know. I begin my day first thing in the morning, praying to God, talking to Jesus, reading His Word, and please protect me from all temptations of the evil one. Please protect me from all accusations of the evil one because his name is accuser. Please protect my wife, Mona. Please protect my children. Please protect my pastors, my elders, my deacons, our church. Please, oh Lord, please do this. Do you ever pray that way? Do you ever pray for me that way? Do you ever pray for the pastoral team? Pray for your leaders, your elders? You pray for your children as they go off to school, they will not become seduced by Satan as they get on the internet. How seriously do you take this? How seriously do I take this in your life and my life? Are there any spiritual disciplines that shows that Jesus is truly the Lord of your life? And second soul, 
These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, as the crowds were receiving him with joy, because he was doing things for them, doing things for them. And they have no roots, very shallow roots, but they endure for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, the word is the gospel word, the kingdom word that Jesus is proclaiming, immediately they fall away. So you always have to work out original context before we go to our context. Original context, what is Jesus talking about? Most likely, people like the crowds. There's initial joy. He, he's, he's wonderful. He's doing all these things with shallow roots. They stop listening. They start listening to persecution. And the persecution for them began with religious teachers. If you ever go as an Israelite, as a Jew, if you ever went against your religious teachers, you'll be in trouble. You'll really be in trouble. When this gospel was written, Emperor Nero was persecuting the Christians around the Roman Empire, arresting them, burning them, feeding them to animals. This is Emperor Nero. And so when Mark's gospel was written, it's to warn, are you this, Saul, or are you this? You receive him with joy, but Jesus already told us in his earthly life and ministry not to be the shallow soul. You will face persecution for the first Jewish believers from their own leaders, for Gentiles who are now part of listening to Mark's gospel, you will also face this. And so we stop listening to Jesus. You want to look at the things carefully, the points that are there? Once you start listening to other things, you will stop listening to Jesus. Once suffering and persecution speaks louder than Jesus' love and lordship over you, you will start to walk in faithlessness and disobedience, not faith and obedience. Vitally important for us to realize. And then the third soul, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but three things, the cares of this world, the worries of this world, the anxieties of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and the word and it proves unfruitful. So what is this? This is the seed upon thorny ground. The worries of this world, we call this... Uh, Crippling worry. You know what crippling worry is? First thing in the morning, you think of this. Throughout the day, you think of this. The last thing at night, you think of this. You're crippled and paralyzed by this worry. It's destructive anxiety. You can't stop thinking about this thing. It's chewing the life out of you. Any, anybody here living with crippling anxiety? If you don't watch it, this pandemic could be the trigger. I want to say to you, we have not done as much counselling over the last 28, 30 years than in the last two years, Mona and myself. And one of the biggest emotions people face is anxiety. Just ask the counsellors. Just ask the psychologists. The anxieties and then the fears, they build up. And so it's crippling. In its context, the Jews were living under Roman rule. What's there to worry about? Everything. We are conquered people. 
when will we when will we be free from the national level to the personal level you could allow worries to creep up and become bigger than Jesus is that you is that me deceit the deceitfulness of wealth is fake security and in context Mark chapter 10 is going to record for you the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and says, everything the law asked me to do, I have done. Jesus turns to him and says, yeah, you're a good law keeper. But doesn't mean that you're a good law keeper that you love God. Why don't you sell everything and give to the poor? At that, he hung his head. He knew he couldn't do it. You could keep the law but not love God. You could keep the law but not love neighbour. And so the deceitfulness of wealth is fixed security. Who amongst us is, stuff, is suffering from the fixed security you have from wealth? Who amongst us? That you've got X number of dollars, you'll be the most contented. From this point onwards, you'll be a lovely person to live with. Guess what? Inflation is running about 5%, by the way. Whatever X dollars you put, you better put 5% on top of it. Because in a few next year, you need 105. Next year, you need 110. You've got a moving goalpost. And this is a phenomenon in Singapore that we are not proud of. I used to say in the old days when the newspapers, not a week passes without reading in the papers someone suing their sibling over inheritance. In pastoral work, we face that quite a lot. We see human nature at its worst, Human nature, redeemed nature at its best. And for 300,000 or 400,000 or a million dollars, I'm willing to crucify my brother and crucify my sister at the cross for the life of me. Is that really, how, how, how valuable is that relationship with your brother? How valuable is that relationship with your... So my dad passed on, didn't have very much. But whatever he had, my eldest brother took most of it. My second brother said to me, I think we can get a share of this, and rightfully so, because dad would have wanted this for the rest of the 11 of us. And I said to my second brother, I'm going to study in Bible college soon. I'm going to be a pastor. I can't sue my brother. It will pass. It will pass. It will pass. We struggled through Bible college. We were very poor. We were down to dollars and cents. But God never failed to provide for us. I loved my brother to the end of his life. He was a good brother, but he went through a season, things, things were tough. And all he could think was himself. Don't you go through times like that? You do. Not to condone him, but to forgive him. And to know that my relationship with him as a biological brother is more precious than whatever monetary value I'm going to get out of him. The deceitfulness of wealth and desires idolatrous glory. And I give you two things there. You go check Mark chapter 10, where Jesus, before he heads to the cross, the sons of Zebedee, they're debating who will sit on his right hand and sit on his left hand. Personal ambition, the things of this world, so which of this is going to get you started to listening to worldliness, a world without God? 
and stop you listening to faithfulness to Jesus. At different times, in different seasons, Satan will trip you up with one of this. It's listening to Jesus that matters the most. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends. So I have to say this. I said this at the church camp years ago. We now suffer from bad wakefulness where you're staying up to 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning with your gadgets. You're kept awake by your gadgets, for your gadgets, and your bad wakefulness, you've got bad watchfulness, you're watching the wrong things, the wrong things that feed your soul with poison. And you expect to follow Jesus the next day and come to church and say that you believe in Him, a follower of Him, you're keeping alert to your own hour, to your own pleasure, to your own wealth, to your own unconfessed idolatry. God knows that, friends. So if I've quoted this many times. Where else we go backwards? Good wakefulness, you're kept awake by God. And Jesus, before he died, he went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he went to pray, his, two disciples, his three disciples fell asleep. Couldn't you keep awake, he tells them? That's good wakefulness. And when Jesus prays, he gets on his knees. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus keeps alert not to his own hour. Jesus keeps alert not to his own security. Jesus keeps alert not to his own pleasure. Jesus keeps alert in prayer for the Father's hour, for the Father's will, which is for you and me. It's a very huge difference. You kept awake by this for the wrong reasons? It's time to repent. I've quoted this stat many times. This is old figures already, six, seven years old. A survey done in America, the number of people I can't even give you, is this in trillions who watch porn videos? It's so common now, our children as young as P4 exposed to them on our tablets. And what kind of generation are we going to produce? There's a spiritual battle for the souls of our people from young to old. And just in case this is a problem of the young, old folks who are retired with nothing to do, you're also spending time on the phone surfing the wrong stuff. Instead of using your God-given experience and wisdom to bless people around you, at both ends, Satan is always tripping you up from crippling anxiety, from the deceitfulness of wealth, and the unrepentant pleasures or goals that you have in your life. What about the good soul? You start listening to worldliness, the rightness and goodness of the self-made life, the self-pleasing life, the self-glorifying life. You stop listening to Jesus, the wrongness and badness of a God-made, God-pleasing and God-glorifying life through Him. Why follow Jesus if it involves so much suffering? Why? Because what he comes to offer us is ultimate reality. How's your hearing? And then he gives the example of the good soul who hear the word and three verbs. Look at them carefully. You not just hear, you accept it, and then it bears fruit. So in olden English, this is not a word. If you are a true disciple, you will do this. The mark of true disciples, you hear the word of God and you heed the word of God in all seasons and at all costs. In all seasons and at all costs. And so this is the good soul, vitally important for us to realize.
And so it was for the disciples, they had to hear this to the very end. The mark of true disciples, I said last week, hearing with all your hearts, believing with all our hearts, obeying Jesus with all our hearts. So I do not know what you thought of our video, Glorifying God Devotions. And we're going to do this more because we're focused on family ministries. In one sense, it's not new because we've been saying to you, family devotions, whatever you want to call them, quiet times are very important. And so did you hear Elder Hoyuki and his wife, Hui Hui, share that um, they began with the babes. When they were the babies, they laid their hands on their chests every night to pray for them. They grew up every night you pray. And when children are younger, they are more prone to follow you in example, get on your knees. Dad got on his knees, I get on my knees. And then as they're slightly older in primary school, simple prayers, one sentence prayers. Then when they got to secondary school, started family journal. Family journal, right? Share prayer items. Nothing too small, nothing too big. And the son was sharing, weren't sharing. For him, praying for Liverpool to win is a, it's not a small thing. When you're a fan of Liverpool, no matter how hopeless, there's hope. <laughs> I should say that for the others, men, you, etc. And so, what did they embark on? They embarked on age-sensitive teaching of God's Word, the hearing of God's Word in their life, their struggles, we we shared. When you're young, the kids will say, no time, I've got to study for exam, no time, I've got to go for a soccer match. Can you do this devotion a bit faster? <laughs> Haven't we all faced that? Do a bit faster, Dad. Let's, uh, uh, no, 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 no time for God. Uh, can I just pray a one-sentence prayer? Then you live through all that. Then Yuki jumps in and says, this whole thing's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? You just teach them one step at a time. When we started reading, not a whole chapter, just read a few verses and always read Proverbs. You've got sons, so they'll find a godly wife. What was all that about? Why do we do this? And we want to do this more and more, my friends. But ultimately, the test is not in what the parents did. It's what bore fruit in the sons who are now adults studying in America. And you could listen to Wing and Yishin and each sharing with them that the modelling of their parents hearing with all their hearts, believing with all their hearts, obeying Jesus with all their hearts, had started to impact their own lives. And when children, there's nothing sweeter, when children send you, pray for us. You know they now don't have a vicarious faith, a third-party faith. You know they now own their relationship with God. And was it good to listen to the younger son, Yishan? And that means I question, I listen Teach your children to question their faith, that their faith must be robust. It must be real, listening to Jesus. That's what it means in day-to-day -day living. And we pray to do this more and more, asking our DG groups to do DG sharing. For two years, we've not been able to do it. Our DG groups have done a great job with the years, but we're going to up the ante whenever DG group shares. It usually goes into a format of we gather for food and fellowship, food and fellowship, food and fellowship. But now, slightly more than food and fellowship, uh, what is, what's God doing in your life as a single? What's God doing in your life as a married person? Are you having new habits, new devotions? Are you taking God seriously in your life? This is what it means for us. And then, we've only time to go back and, 
And so fresh encounters with Jesus, a gospel newness when we do this, a new year. So I had a gathering of senior pastors, went around the room and asked, it's a new year, January 2022. That was the last one I met them. What's your, what are your prayers and hope for the new year? And one pastor just said, I wrote a Facebook post about it, fresh encounters with Jesus. Because Jesus is alive. Please don't treat Jesus as a historical figure who died and is stuck in the grave. No one else has come back from the dead. Jesus is risen. Amen? Vitally important. And so we skip the other two parables. Parable mustard seed to end. Parable mustard seed, Jesus says. The main lesson is mustard seed. You know what mustard seed is as small as pepper, black pepper. You shake it out, there's a seed. And then it grows to a huge garden plant, three meters high, three meters high. Imagine that, three meters high. Provides shelter and blessing to the birds of the air who come. And the kingdom of God is like this. It grows. It grows from small beginnings to a great ending. It grows quietly. It grows imperceptibly. It is unnoticed, but it's unstoppable. And so, there's another message in there. Not just small beginnings, great endings. But what does this have to do with that? What does this seed eh, have to do with this huge plant? Okay, just to test, because we're all urbanites. City folks, cosmopolitan. Very few of us are good farmers. Some of us have become COVID gardeners. Let me ask you, if I gave you 10 seeds, will you be able to identify the plant? In all seriousness, I can identify one. It's called durian. For those who are watching this from overseas, it's the king of fruits here. We love it as a big seed goes into this huge tree and then wonderful fruit that if you're not used to it, it's not so wonderful. That's about the only seed I can recognize. You look at this mustard seed, would you ever think? You look at Jesus, he's from Nazareth, he's from Galilee. You look at the starting of his life, you look at the ending of his life, he dies on the cross. What does this man called Jesus dying on the cross have to do with saving the world? Nothing. A man who cannot even save himself cannot save the world. It's precisely because he, he didn't save himself, he came to save you and me, he didn't come down from the cross. What does this very small beginning very unnoticed beginning, very forgettable beginning have to do with this. 2,000 years later here in Singapore, majority of us Chinese folks here, we believe in a Jewish man as our God. What does that have to do with us? Nothing. Everything. And so the kingdom of God grows quietly, unnoticed by the human eye, but invincibly and unstoppably. My experience of God's growth here, when I came in 1991, maybe 60 young adults, a few more older, and by God's grace, from 1991 to 2014, here in the RPC at Adam, we knocked down the semi-detached house, we grew to about 1,002, 1,400 people. And then in God's timing, we were backs to the wall, our children had no space to meet, our youth had no space to meet, we had to go and meet in SBC. God gave us an opening at ARPC at Bishan. We sent 300 people off, 
from the 9 a.m. service, mainly here, in a few years, that 300 in Bishan had grown to 600. The 300 that emptied the seats here, God filled up the 300. It has grown. It keeps growing. If we are humble and faithful, you can't deny that, friends. It's not my work. It's not your work. It's God working in us and through us. And so very sadly, we have to call an ECM to ask for extra funds. But let's look at God has raised 80% of what we need. We've got a bit more to go. And a bit more to go. As members, regulars here in ERPC, do you believe that what's happening here is God's work? You can see the fingerprints of God. Well, I just got this message from a fellow pastor from another church. Hi, Chris. Blessed Lunar New Year. <laughs> Our church would like to bless ERPC in ERPC at Tengah by giving to his building fund. Kindly advise how and the details of giving to this building fund. We believe in the work of the gospel through ERPC and believe in your godly leadership of ERPC. It's never happened in my 30 years here. Another church believing in us and asking to give. What do you think I said to him? I said to him in reply, I know your church is also looking to build. You should keep the money for yourself. Some people have offered to give. I know they're, they're tight. I say to them, don't give. What do you think was his reply? It's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> we haven't got our land yet. Okay. And <laughs> so kindly accept this small but sincere gift from us. Every Good Friday and Christmas Day, our church sets aside an offering collection to bless a seminary, to bless another church, a parachurch, and this year we decided we will bless ARPC. If you don't believe in God's work here, and other people believe it, there's something wrong, don't you think? Other people believe it so much that they want to see it grow. We are not just out to reach Tengah, because Singapore is going to be a light to Southeast Asia, to Malaysia, to Indonesia, to Thailand, to Myanmar, to Asia. That's what we are called to. You narrow your vision down to a little bit. It's a narrow vision. Jesus dies on the cross. What does this have to do with that? Me dying on the cross has to do with me saving you. And me saving you has to do with me sending you out to preach the gospel, to share Jesus, and to bring them into his kingdom. So you are either on the way for God or in the way of God. So OTW, you're on the way for Jesus. Or you're in the way of Jesus. My pastoral friend so happens to be on the way with us. I ask of you, members of ARPC, how is your hearing? Do you see God at work in us and through us? I pray and plead that you will see God's hands, no matter what the accusations, no matter what our imperfections. We can sing this song in closing. It's all about knowing Jesus and hearing Jesus and obeying Him. And after that, our service ends, virtual, virtual listeners, and then we'll conduct our communion together. O Spirit of God, make the lyrics of this song
ever more true in our lives, ever more beautiful, that knowing you is the most precious thing of our lives from day to day until we meet you face to face. We pray that the knowing of you will indeed come from the hearing of your word, the believing in you, and the obeying and following of you, Lord Jesus, at all costs, in all seasons. Forgive us, for we confess that left to ourselves we are bad hearers, bad hearers of God, bad hearers of God's word, and bad doers of God's will. But by your grace and by your mercy, by your word and by your spirit, we can listen to what you say to us, Heavenly Father, through your Son. Speak, O Lord, that we might find salvation and be your instruments, the servants of the gospel, unto your glory. Amen.